coming up on Philosophy Talk. I am a scientist, not a philosopher. Friedrich Nietzsche said God is dead. Stephen Hawking said philosophy is dead. Science may have replaced religion, but has it also replaced philosophy? I'm curious as to what transpired between the moment when I was nothing more than an assemblage of parts in Dr. Soong's laboratory and the next moment when I became alive. Can philosophy teach us anything that science can't? You guys got to tell me, why is there so much human suffering? This is unanswerable. Is there a God? These are the wrong questions. Has philosophy made any progress at all? I, I've got to find meaning. Our guest is Massimo Piliucci from City University of New York. Has science replaced philosophy? Coming up on Philosophy Talk. I am a philosopher, not a scientist. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm not. I'm Ken Taylor. We're back at our old friend, the studios of KALW San Francisco. We're continuing conversations that started at Philosopher's Corner at Stanford. That's where Ken and I teach philosophy. And today we're asking a burning philosophical question. Has science replaced, killed off, philosophy? Well, Ken, of course, science has not replaced philosophy. Science and philosophy both aim at truth, but they employ different methods. They have different roles to play and, to a certain extent, ask quite different questions. Who would even think that science could replace philosophy? Well, lots of really smart, famous, prominent people. John Steve Hawking has declared the death of philosophy. So has the biologist Richard Dawkins. They all both seem to think that science either can or will soon answer all the important questions. Anything left over? Any so-called philosophical questions left over? Those are just pseudo-problems and not really worth smart people thinking about. Well, has Stephen Hawking or Richard Dawkins or any of these other scientists offered empirical evidence for this view? Have they done some experiments? Have they derived this from evolutionary theory or quantum mechanics? Of course not. The claim that philosophical problems are just pseudo-problems is itself a philosophical position, not settled by empirical facts. Sort of ironic. Well, yeah, you're right. And the, we philosophers have a name for the kind of view that Hawking and others ex expiles. It's called positivism, logical positivism. Part of that was the claim that uh, any claim, statement that can't be verified or falsified empirically, scientifically, is just nonsense. When you're talking about it, you're just flapping your lips. But you've shown a problem with positivism. It actually fails its own test. Yeah, so I guess we can forget about these guys. I mean, Hawking and the like have rediscovered an old philosophical position. And they say that philosophy doesn't make any progress. Yeah, okay, John, I get your sarcasm. Maybe, you know, positivism is dead, but it's a real question. Has philosophy, we've been around for a long time, 2,000 years at least, has philosophy made any progress in 2,000 years? Indeed, give it 2,000 more years. Will we make any progress? Well, it's nutty to say it hasn't made any progress, especially nutty for scientists to say that. Philosophers have played an important role in the birth of each science, from mathematics in ancient times to physics in the 16th and 17th centuries. 
And in more recent times, psychology, computer science. I mean, for goodness sakes, of course we've made progress. Well, well, John, you definitely have a point. I mean, it's only in the last few centuries that science has even been considered a separate discipline from philosophy. What we now call science was once for centuries in the West called natural philosophy. And all the major figures, Aristotle, Descartes, Newton, Galileo, they all regarded themselves as much philosophers as scientists. So you're right about that. Okay, then we can agree. Psychology, mathematics, linguistics, computer science, all of these disciplines were once under the larger umbrella of philosophy. So if any of these disciplines has made any progress, if any of them has gotten closer to the truth, then philosophy gets part of the credit. Just because we don't call these modes of inquiry philosophy anymore doesn't mean there's been no progress in our discipline in in the last 2,000 years. Yeah, but that's like the mother taking uh, credit for the achievements of her children. I mean, the the children have grown up and left the nest. But if the only progress that we've made in these two millennia is by developing new sciences that do a better job with our old problems, then maybe the scientists have a point. Here's the question. Is there any way to make progress within philosophy instead of all the progress? progress ultimately being a move away from philosophy. So you're asking like uh, questions like the existence of God or the nature of right and wrong. I, I guess you're saying if the only progress we've made in two millennia is developing new sciences and not answering those questions, we're kind of falling, uh, failing, I should say. Well, I guess that's a fair question. But I think it's a mistake to assume that philosophy should make progress in the same way that science does. We may get clearer about issues as time goes on, even if we don't come up with these final and agreed-upon answers. But see, not no final and agreed-upon answers. That's the thing that bugs scientists so much about, about philosophy. Philosophical questions can't be settled. They can't be settled by empirical facts. They can't be settled by the relentless uh, philosophical arguments. And they, I think many scientists see this lack of consensus, lack of convergence at an agreed-upon answer as, as a signal. We're asking the wrong kind of questions. That's why they think they're pseudo-questions. Well, we're asking questions that are difficult and important. Take morality, for example. You could have all the facts about how a particular act might affect everyone concerned, but would that tell you if it's right or wrong? It's not so clear to me that it would. And even if we agreed that that a certain thing is the right thing to do, we may disagree on why it's the right thing to do. Well, you know, there I agree with you. Empirical facts may inform lots of philosophical theories, should inform philosophical theories, but I don't think they automatically provide direct answers to the really big questions. But, you know, even though you and I agree, lots of people don't agree with us. So we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Caitlin Esch, to find out what some uh, real-life physicists actually think about the role of philosophy in the great scheme of knowledge, she files this report. Philosophers have not kept up with modern developments in science, particularly physics. A few years ago, renowned cosmologist Stephen Hawking pronounced philosophy dead. What is the nature of reality? How does the universe behave? And why does it exist? Most of us don't worry about these questions most of the time. But almost all of us must sometimes wonder, why are we here? Where do we come from? Traditionally, these are questions for philosophy, but philosophy is dead. In terms of understanding the details of how the universe works, philosophy is dead. That's the domain of science, and it's taken it away from philosophy. 
Lawrence Krauss is a physicist. He directs the Origins Project at Arizona State University. But reflecting on the implications of that for our existence, um, certainly those, those kind of questions are, I think, important uh, questions, and philosophers, as well as anyone else, um, should be thinking about those. Krauss's 2012 book, A Universe from Nothing, explains how the world came to be from the perspective of a cosmologist. You can get everything we see, all of the 100 billion stars and 100 billion galaxies, 100 billion stars per galaxy with 100 billion galaxies, all of that mass can come from literally nothing without violating the laws of physics. The book quickly became a New York Times bestseller, but it also ruffled a few feathers. Now, it is true that I made a joke or two in the book, which I probably provoked, specifically in talking about nothing that some people over the time I've talked about this subject object to my definition of nothing. And I lumped philosophers and theologians together and said that they object, some of them, to, to a discussion of nothing, but that they're experts at nothing. The book bothered theologians for its implications about God, and it bothered some philosophers who disagree with Krauss's definition of nothing. Krauss's nothing is the kind defined by the quantum field theory, where the laws of physics are already in place. It's a kind of nothing that some philosophers have insisted is actually something. To Krauss, that's just semantics. It's just some in the philosophy community who have a very insular view, and I think a defensive view that somehow scientists are infringing on their territory by discussing what they view as philosophical concepts that I really hadn't experienced before. Krauss says, in the end, the world needs science, but science doesn't need philosophy. Philosophers of science are read by philosophers of science. Scientists don't read them. Philosophy has no impact on science nowadays. Krauss admits that philosophy is useful in so much as it encourages thought and reflection. Science is what generates knowledge. It's the place to turn to understand nature. Philosophy doesn't doesn't help us understand nature. What it helps us understand is our perhaps our relationship with nature. We reflect on the implications of what science discovers for our own existence. And that kind of reflection is the kind of thing that everyone does, but philosophers, I suppose, do it professionally. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Caitlin Esch. And now, back to the professionals. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.